I want to use this as a platform to help um, the community, but also to be a a change agent to the culture mm. of the police mindset. See, we're inundated. We've become we become used to mm-hmm. this odor mm-hmm. of racism. Mm-hmm. What's up, everybody? I'm Flood the Drummer, and you're listening to Drumming for Justice. It's February 28th, 2019. On March 28th, Bishop James D. Robinson of South Philadelphia's Yesha Ministries, which is located on 23rd and Snyder Avenue, will host a press conference to announce the formation of the Brotherly Love Project. The bishop's new community-focused and media-integrated venture is the result of a controversial interaction with Philadelphia police officers on January 3rd of 2019. On that day, Bishop Robinson saw his son had been pulled over by two white female cops at Broad and Christian Streets. The faith leader then approached his son's car to ensure his safety and shortly thereafter was reprimanded and accosted by one of the officers. Bishop Robinson asserted his humanity again and again, but to no avail. This interaction, which was videotaped by the bishop, continued to escalate until he was issued a citation. When it was all said and done, nearly 10 officers, including a sergeant, had arrived on scene. Bishop Robinson immediately filed a complaint with Internal Affairs and had two private meetings with District Attorney Larry Krasner and members of his staff. The bishop, believe it or not, is actually happy for the experience because it gave him an intimate look at the culture of policing here in Philadelphia. It's now his mission to change it. I sat down with Bishop Robinson at his South Philadelphia studio to talk about the January encounter with police, his project's forthcoming launch, and the need to address racism head on. Here's that interview. You want to talk about a, a particular incident that happened in early January. I believe it was the 3rd of January. Yes. Take me, take me back to that day. What happened? Well, interestingly enough, I was traveling in South Philly, which is my home. <laughs> I was traveling on Broad Street, and I got the Christian. I was going to make a right turn there. I made my right turn and noticed that my son, my middle son, mm-hmm was being pulled over by police officers. I said, okay, well, that's my son. So I I pulled over up the street and and found me a parking spot and and jumped out just so I could make sure my son was okay. Um, When I approached the car of the officers and approached my son's car, one was on one side of his car and one was on the other side of his car looking in, as they do generally when it comes to... So one cop on the right, one cop on the left. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and they they seem to do that when they stop us, especially. (laughs) (laughs) No, but no, they they, they went on one side. And the officer on the right side or on his passenger side uh, seemed to be... um, uh, uh, seemed to be nice. She wasn't, you know, too aggressive, and and I guess officer on the on his his on the driver's side uh, seemed to be a little more aggressive. Uh, so as I approached the car, the officer on the the nicer officer, I will say, <laughs> uh, asked me. Um, oh, this is your son? I said, oh, yeah, this is my son. So the uh, other officer on the other side said, tell so me. So let's use, I mean, we can use names. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I, I've, read the, I've read through the, the complaint. Complaint, yeah. And so Harper? 
I think it was Harper that was the, On the passenger side. Passenger okay. side, right? And, and then Hossein. Hossein's, yeah. Right. So officer, you were pretty thorough. I mean, uh, you had the badge numbers and everything. Oh, I got everything down because uh, it, it it's you know we have to be. Um, wise in our community and we have to be educated. Mm -hmm. We got to know what's going on. We have to be able, and this is for our young people, they they have to be more aware of their rights. Mm. And, you know, they shouldn't allow their rights to be so quickly and so easily uh, uh, taken advantage of. Did you think when you were riding up Christmas Street, you saw your son pulled over I mean, the first thought in your head was, is his, is his rights being violated? Is that why you stopped? Well, that and because of the climate that we're presently in, it doesn't seem like, um, it seems like, well, I know statistically that they are uh, really profiling black yeah. youth. And, uh, and it's unfortunate, but it's just statistically true. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these stops don't end up. Uh, <laughs> most times, right? I mean, <laughs> I've been covering police brutality and police shootings. The most recent one, David Jones, a couple mm -hmm. years before that, Brandon Tate Brown. Mm -hmm. These were, these were all incidents that started from a traffic stop, right? No lights on, illegal dirt bike. You didn't yeah. you didn't put your turn signals on. Yes, and and so in my mind, I'm always going to make sure that my my children are okay, or any of the youth that I, you know, if I know them, I'm absolutely going to stop. And sometimes, to be very honest with you. When I see these kinds of stop, I just pull over. Mm. Just even least. if you don't know the person. Even if I don't know the person. Yeah. And sometimes my wife will say, well, you, are you going to get involved? Again? <laughs> I said, well, no, let me just pull over to make sure everything mm -hmm. is being done correctly. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just me because I remember one time I was at um, Broad, uh, 17th in Washington, right behind the Family Dollar. Mm -hmm. And I seen all these cops, you know, stopping this young, light-skinned kid. Couldn't have been no more than 17. And they were surrounding him. It had to be at least eight or nine cops. And this is one kid on the bike. And I was riding, going towards Center City. And I just stopped and just stood there. Mm -hmm. And the cop was like, what are you doing? I said, I'm just observing. Because <laughs> this kid is terrified. I, I can read body language. He is clearly terrified. Oh, he stole something. I said, he, ain't, he didn't rob a bank. Whatever he stole from the private dollar store. Why did he have nine cops surrounding this kid? So I, I guess I understand that, you know. Yeah, and, and it's sad because, you know, when I as I pulled up and as I approached the car, my son must have said, oh, this is my dad here. Mm -hmm. And the officer. So you, just to be clear for listeners, mm -hmm. he didn't call you. You were yeah. just driving by. And I was just driving. You just happened to see him. Happened to see him. Okay. You know, now we had plans on meeting later on in the day, but not. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, as a, as so, and that's weird in and of itself. But when I approached the car, the officer Harper, and she really was very nice. Harper was. Okay. Um, uh, Were these said, both white cops? Both um, white female officers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, she said, uh, it, do you, you can get in the car with him. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, even though she said it in a nice way, <laughs> you know, it caught me by surprise. I've never heard of a officer asking someone from the outside, regardless of who they say they are, right. to get in the, in the car of someone they're investigating. Mm -hmm. so, so, immediately, I said, well, no, 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 no. I said, I said I'll just stand over here. And I, at, the, at that time, I hadn't said anything to my son. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and as well, I'm I'm recording, so I'm like, I just want to make sure everything's okay. So I did you start I, recording as you walked up? As it? I was walking up, so mm -hmm. you see mm -hmm. her asking me to get in the car. Mm -hmm. I, I I decline. I go. I stand. Well, then the other Hossein gets a little 
uh, testy and mm -hmm. says, well, you can't stand there. I said, why not? This is a public space. Right. Well, 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 no, no, we're in the midst of an investigation. Now, I ask you if you can get in the car, you can get in the car. But if you don't want to get in the car, you can go over there to Dunkin' Donuts. Or, or, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. or, or, or stand behind this barricade. So I, I acquiesced. Okay. I said, okay, I'll go behind. And then as I was walking to go behind the barricades, uh, my son says, hey, Dad, it's just my stickers. They out of. I said, oh, okay. And so I get up behind. I, I, I start moving. I said, this is just... Um, about his stickers, mm -hmm. he he has all of it. He's got proper license. Long as it wasn't nothing crazy, I okay. cut my camera off. Okay, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna leave. So I waved my hand <laughs> at Officer Harper mm -hmm. uh, on the. She's on the passenger side of the police cruiser. I I say she rolls the window down. She I say, listen, I see that this is just a police uh, is about his stickers he's got all of this information i'm leaving mm -hmm. she says okay i waved my hand at my son i said son i'm getting ready to leave uh I'll, I'll check with you later it's just a whatever and as i turn to leave and as i'm walking away officer hussein jump, jumps out like a starsky and hutch movie <laughs> and mm. you don't want to obey mm. i said I told you to, to, I said, who are you talking to first? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to arrest you now. And she started grabbing on me. Mm. So I, I snatch her hands off of me because mm -hmm. she's trying to go in my back pocket. I reach in my pocket and I pull my phone back out mm -hmm. and I start recording again. And I start, I open But it. you didn't even think twice about it because I, I, if that was me, I think I would have been even scared to reach in my pocket. Oh, you no, didn't, no. You didn't think well, that. Well, you know, I, even though her hand was on her gun. Um, my son started hollering out from the car, which you would hear on the tape. Mm -hmm. He's a pastor. He's a, but okay. I I had to get the documentation of this because yeah. it was so unbelievable. Yeah. Now, now, Bishop, I watched it. Mm -hmm. I watched the video, mm -hmm. and I noticed two things. As she was getting agitated with you, and even as other cops arrived, you never seemed to lose your cool. But the other thing. You did. You didn't play the the bishop card. You didn't say, "Hey, you, don't you know who I am? Why? Right. Why not?" Well, what I did, and and I did at one point when the sergeant came, I did right. say to you them after, right. right? You're right. And with her, I didn't right. go there. My son was hollering. I said, "Son, don't say who I am. Okay. It's okay." When the sergeant came, I said, "Listen, I'm Bishop Robinson." Uh, of Yesha Ministries, I work in this city. I work with everyone in this city. Right. All the, the 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 I work Power with my brokers. police department, mm -hmm. and I work, you know. And I went through the whole spiel about how I actually work to protect officers, mm -hmm. as well as I work to protect the community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, but her disposition of grabbing on mm -hmm. me became it became crazy. Mm -hmm. So she stops after. All of these officers come up, but because I wasn't belligerent and because I think I talked fairly intelligent, I think they, the ones that came up understood, well, this doesn't seem like, and even though I was dressed in my hoodie, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think they might've, might've discerned okay. that maybe this is not just a hood person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what I did, um, I had, I engaged in this conversation with the police officer and with the um, sergeant, and he said... Was the sergeant white as well? White, yes. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, listen, this is a problem because if I'm not being suspected of any criminal offense, 
or anything like that. Why do you want my ID? So to be clear, was it Hossein who first asked for your ID or was it when the sergeant arrived, they said they wanted to see your ID? Hossein first said she's going to grab, she's going to take my ID. She was, okay. reaching, she was trying to reach in my back wow. for my wife. She's going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, and, and that wouldn't have never happened. To be honest <laughs> so so um, I went on and I talked with the sergeant because he's there now saying, well, at first, he asked me, what's your name? I said, my name is James Robinson. Um, what's your date of birth? I said, I'm not giving you my date of birth. Mm. Well, no, you have to because you're a part of this investigation. Mm-hmm. How am I a part of this investigation? Mm-hmm. Well, when did this even become an investigation, investigation. right? Like, <laughs> you, just, you just told me it was about stickers. Now well, it's an investigation. Well, according to them, even the stickers is an investigation. Mm. But here's what I said to the office. I said, well... And, and and this is later in the tape. I said, it, I have a question in my mind that if this is merely a traffic stop and I merely say something to the officer mm. and say something to my son, that alone makes me a part of this investigation. Mm-hmm. I said, that's questionable to mm-hmm. me. And he said, well, yeah, maybe sometimes. Could be. Yeah, it could, could be. be. Yeah. But the problem is earlier on in the conversation, he said, I made myself a part of the investigation. Listen to this. When I refused to get in the car right. with my son. Right. So unfortunately, he was wrong. And I told him in the midst of our conversation, I said, now I do have the wherewithal. I said, I'm being I'm gonna be very clear with you. I have the wherewithal to check you out. And if you're wrong, because I asked him, I said, Are you absolutely sure that I have to give you my ID law and I've done nothing wrong? You're telling me, he said to me that it's absolutely false that I don't have to give up my ID if I haven't done anything wrong. Mm. So he said... And I heard all... And I, and in the video, that. you heard the other cops agreeing. Like, yeah, yes. yeah, you got to give it up. Well, I asked him, I said, and all of you all agree with that right. because I wanted that on tape. Okay. And the reason I wanted it on tape because I want to I wanna demonstrate that we've got to do something about the madness, mm. which brings me to the point that the reason you and I are talking mm-hmm. is because I really... I really want to use this, and I don't want to jump ahead. Mm-hmm. I want to use this as a platform to help um, the community, but also to be a a change agent to the culture mm. of the police mindset. See, we're inundated. We become we become used to mm-hmm. this odor mm-hmm. of racism. Mm-hmm. It's almost like. A person that lives in a house that has an odor, but because they lived there so long, mm-hmm. they become immune to the odor. Mm-hmm. You, you become comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? And, that's, and unfortunately, we, we literally, watch this, we allow them, the police officers, to talk to our children any kind of, you, you mother, mm-hmm. at this, and you get over here, mm-hmm. you little, mm-hmm. in any other profession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the teacher talked to the child like that, what would happen? Well, you know what, Bishop? It's interesting because I remember, um, <laughs> I remember, I remember. Uh, this was late 2016, early 2017. Uh, Lieutenant Stanford was still in charge of public affairs before Sekou Kinabu was there, mm-hmm. and I remember calling Lieutenant Stanford and saying, "Listen, you know, I, I have a problem with this stop and frisk issue. Uh, I think this might have been right around the town hall." Um, and I said to him, "I said particularly." It's uh, it's the way in which you you guys talk to people. I said I have seen it happen where you will come up to a kid and say, "Yo, mother, stop!" Right? Yes. You know what he said to me? 
He said, Flood, you have an unrealistic expectation of politeness. He said, we don't have to be polite, and nor are we going to be polite. So if I have to yell MF to get your attention, that's what our officers are going to do. I was stunned. I was like, you're, you're admitting this to me, knowing I'm a journalist, knowing you're on the record. And he's just like, that's yes. it. But what you said is the story, right? It may not be that there was a, uh, a police about shooting or that there was active brutality. It's the culture. It's the way in which they conduct themselves and the way in which we enable that behavior. And it's tragic. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you why it's tragic, my brother, Brother Nard. <laughs> the reason it is so tragic is because even in our community, we've become accepting of it. Mm-hmm. And we should not be. The first time I got arrested, and I want you to hear this. I was 17 years old. I was standing on the corner mm-hmm. at 31st and Dickinson. Mm-hmm. I was standing with some other brothers. I One of the brothers was a um, mechanic, and he was teaching me how to deal with an alternator. A police officer screamed from across the street. There was an abandoned car. Hey, yo, y'all hear me, blank blanks? Mm. And one of my... Um, brothers who I was talking to was about to answer. I said, no, 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 no. Do not answer him. Mm. Just continue to talk to me. He comes across the street and while I'm talking to them, I never even looked at him and acknowledged him. I said, see brothers, there's a proper way to enter a conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, and the proper way to enter a conversation is, excuse me, Mm -hmm. as simple as that. Mm -hmm. We're here as citizens you do not approach a citizen, mm-hmm. yo, hey. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had been preaching. I started preaching when I was 14. Okay. I had been preaching for three years. Mm. And he grabbed me and said, I'm going to arrest you. And he radioed. And all of these police came from the 17th district. Mm. And they put me in the back of the paddy wagon. <laughs> mm. And, and what was the charge? Inciting a riot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. When I get down to the police uh, station, I'm sitting there and one of the officers decided to have a just a side conversation with me. And we begin to talk and he didn't know I was under arrest. I was sitting on the bench. And the other officer came out and said, um, oh, he's under arrest. He said, this man is under arrest. He said, come on. What did he do? And he said, he hesitated. He said, no, 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 no. First of all, did you know he's a preacher? Did... And he had to dismiss it. He just dismissed it right mm. there from the station. Okay. Because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. Yeah. So to show you the, the this is a culture. I, I remember one time I, I, I almost got arrested again. An officer was just gritting on me, looking at me straight. You know, back in the day, we used the word grit, mm. gritting on somebody or you staring them down. And I looked at him because I was wondering, what the F you looking at? Mm. I said, wow. So it's systemic and it's a part of the DNA of Philadelphia mm-hmm. culture. Because mm-hmm. what you may not, well, you, you're, you're a little younger, mm-hmm. but this city used to be laced with race riots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Back in the late 60s, mm-hmm. 70s. Burn Columbia Avenue down. Listen, it was vicious in the city. Here in South Philadelphia was some of the worst race riots you could ever imagine. I'm talking about around oh, up on uh, Tasker, Morris, Wharton. Mm-hmm. I mean, race riots. I'm talking about bottles and sticks. Mm. And 
So, so you, you dismiss it when you hear people say nothing has changed. You're like, clearly stuff has changed. It's not where we need to be, but it's certainly not as bad. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, right now I think that it's a good time to try to speak to the condition in an intelligent way and just put some of the cards on the table. So on the 3rd of January, if had you had seen your son and had you found out that he was just the stickers and Hossein was pleasant, there would have been no story. You would have just got there on your way. There wouldn't have been any story. First of all, I discovered after talking to my son, she was very nasty to him. Mm. She told him, and this, of course, he, he told the internal affairs this as well. He said, well, you know, I just got to go get my stickers. I couldn't afford it. Oh, you couldn't afford it, huh? Now, why, why is that necessary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why so you guys went all the way to the, all the way up to the... Internal oh, affairs this process? Is, oh, this is an internal affair. In fact, not only did we go to internal affairs, but I went directly to the DA. Yeah, yeah. I and heard I about met, that. And was I met a... with him twice. The media came to interview me, but I refused to be interviewed. How'd they know you were going to be there? I have no idea. <laughs> All I seen was cameras. I said, okay. Yeah. So from what I understand, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, you know, I talked to a source within the DA's office that day, and they would only confirm that you did, in fact, have... Um, a meeting with the <laughs> district attorney. They wouldn't, you know, they just wanted to confirm, yes, but that it was private. Yeah. Was it just you and the and Mr. Krasner, or was oh, it? Oh no! Did I you bring brought, clergy? Oh, with I brought them? clergy. I brought, you know, I, I actually brought my state rep. I brought my councilman and, and the justice. So Kenyatta were, and Jordan Harris, Kenyatta Johnson and Jordan, and Jordan Harris. Harris. They were in that meeting. Yeah. Okay. In, in the second meeting. Okay. I brought some other people to the first meeting, and then we had a second meeting, a follow up meeting. So I wanted to show him the plan that I had to, to okay. try to deal with this situation. In a way, though, that's not just so adversarial or, you know, for me, I want to help mm. in the city. I don't, I, I'm not about demonizing mm-hmm. or vilifying mm-hmm. um, leaders or, or, or people in the community because there are really some good police officers, mm-hmm. just like there's some good preachers. <laughs> 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 but I, I, we have to, though, identify the bad ones as well. In the 17th district, believe this, there was a writing on the wall of mm-hmm. the police I got bathroom. ticked off about that. Yeah. I remember that. I got a couple phone calls saying, Flood, you got to go check this out. I hate working with niggers. Yeah. Well, now that's a problem. <laughs> but then I just recently found out that it was also in the 35th district as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So now if you're in... This is still very much an anti-black sentiment <laughs> within the police department. Well... It's there. Mm-hmm. And, but the, my problem is it's not acknowledged. Right. See, you can't fix something. And this is what I told them in internal affairs. Mm. If we don't acknowledge mm-hmm. what's happening, then mm-hmm. it can't be fixed. The bishop and I also talked about police officers not knowing the law, how Trump embodies the heart of the nation, while the black officials make life better for black people and the intended outcomes of the Brotherly Love Project. Here's part two of my exclusive interview with Bishop Robertson. So you were talking about the officer's knowledge base of the law. I, I remember uh, two things that stick out to me. One is more recent than the other. Uh, last year, I was on a panel with uh, District Attorney Larry Krasner, Mary Catherine Roper of the ACLU, and Riley Ross, civil rights attorney. And um, it was at the Pennsylvania Bar Association. It's kind of like annual conference, whatever. And we were talking about you know, protesting and the laws around protesting. Um, And they asked me, you know, as an activist, someone who covers protests, what's the biggest challenge 
in as an activist and in, in, in doing this protest is my answer was encountering police who don't know the law. That's the biggest, that's the biggest <laughs> challenge. Because I remember Absolutely. in 2014 when activists, uh, Anton Moore among them, who, who, who's from South Philly, uh, they were on Point Breeze trying to get a uh, store to stop selling BB guns to the youth because the BB guns, were, the kids were taking off the little orange stuff off the guns and going around robbing people. And if you're a cop and you see that, you can't tell in a moment's notice whether that's a toy gun or not. And so, um, and this was right before Tamir Rice in Cleveland got killed while playing with the BB gun. Mm-hmm. So we would, we were trying to do some preventive measures. And so the neighbors were on the sidewalk in front of the store protesting and blocking the store so that no one could go in to try and shut their business down until they started going. So all these cops show up. We're right across the street from the, 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 the um, police department on 20th and Federal, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. 17th District. And um, so, you know, the, the, the cops show up, and the cops show up, and, and he goes, you know, you guys are going to have to go. We're going to have to start arresting people. And I'm, I'm challenging the cop because at this point I'm yelling at him and I'm, I'm livid. I go, what do you mean? Like, they're telling you that these guys are doing something illegal. Can't you go in there and seize these toy guns, right? He goes, well, we don't have probable cause. We don't have, I said, well, I said, well, there's a city ordinance. There's already a law on the books that says no store in, in the Philadelphia County should, can sell, retail, or, or uh, trade in the traffic of uh, airsoft guns is the, the, the ter- typical term for it. And he says, well, I don't know anything about that. So literally, I had to Google the city ordinance in front of him <laughs> and show him the law. And then even then, he says, oh, okay, but I, I still don't have, I need to see a video of somebody buying a gun or something because I don't have probable cause. I said, you don't have probable cause when you stop black men up and down these streets either. But that doesn't stop you off from stopping them and searching them. I'm telling you, you have an entire neighborhood around here telling you they're selling guns to kids and that the guns they're selling are illegal based on the city ordinance. And you're here to arrest the people for protesting rather than the store owner? So then that's when people started telling me, Flood, you know, the police aren't supposed to know the law. Why do you think police? I said, because they're law enforcement, enforcement. officers. How can they enforce a law they don't understand don't or know? know. <laughs> well, well, see, man, thank God for you, brother. Um, one of the things that we have to do as leaders, as community activists, is really educate our community because our community sometimes will turn against us. Mm. Unfortunately, because of the measure of and the level of ignorance they've been in for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got to educate them. And then after we educate them, we have to re-educate them. Mm. <laughs> because what I've discovered is that you can give them good information this week, mm-hmm. but information without proper application mm. will lead to frustration. Mm. They, don't, they don't know how to apply what they've learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we have to do is constantly let them hear it, let them see it. And this platform I'm building, the Brotherly Love Project is what it's called, okay. is a platform to do such. Now, I would love to birth out of this a show mm. where Chris Norris can literally be seen. I have a studio here now, brother, <laughs> where we can really have this dialogue on a stage, mm-hmm. on a set, and we can invite people in to mm. literally talk about this on a weekly basis. Mm. Like I, a public affairs type come, of... Come on, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. A, 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 a view of the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good name. <laughs> we'll write it down. A view yeah. of the community. Let's just take a snapshot. Let's see what's actually happening in the community 
and how the community is going down this path. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm saddened, of course, by um, the fact that we we don't come together unless there's a tra- mm. tragedy, and so we have to do more. Mm-hmm. This the being proactive, right? Yeah. We're reactive. We react to everything, and we're actually kind of good at reacting, right? Oh, we can yeah. shut down the street. We can <laughs> protest. We can yell. Well, we're good at that. We can interrupt the meeting, but the steps it takes to prevent some of the things that frustrate us, we just either we don't know how to do it or we don't want to do it. And I'm not sure which one it is. I mean, some of the people I've come across, they don't want to. Well, they don't want to ruffle feathers. And one of the problems is when you're a truth teller mm. from the biblical narrative, um, it says in St. John eight thirty two, and ye shall know the truth mm-hmm. and the truth shall make you free. And then that word know comes from a very interesting Greek idiom, genosko, which means to have intimacy, mm. to experience truth. Mm-hmm. Truth is not something that is just told, mm-hmm. it's experienced. Mm-hmm. We got to get our people to start experiencing truth. Do you find space and, and time within your um, faith context when you're having church service to talk about these types of social political issues? Wow, you, you just go back and listen to some of my tapes. Yeah. I deal with them all. Mm. I deal with everything from President Trump really? to the recent R. Kelly fiasco. Wow. I deal with all the current issues, and I have to because I want my people to look at it the mm. right way. Mm-hmm. For example, we, we just got finished talking about uh, the, the Trump uh, syndrome, mm-hmm. we'll call it that. Uh, Trump came into this nation, and he became president of this country based on the heart of the nation. Mm. In fact, this is something I can say openly because I said it openly to my leaders. I told them three months before Trump got into office, I gave them a prophetic word. I said, you all do know that Trump is going to get into office. Wow. Whoa, Bishop, I thought you would never say anything like that. And I start laughing. One of my friends called me a false prophet. What? <laughs> he said, if, <laughs> and he's a friend. He said, if Trump gets in the office, Bishop, now I listen to what you say, but if he gets in the office, I'll eat my hat. Mm. I said, the problem is y'all don't know the heart of the nation. Mm. I said, the heart of the nation is so uh, a wicked mm-hmm. That and 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 it, and it's so di- divisive against the black. Uh, you had a black president. Uh, you now do you but really believe anything will happen before they let a woman get in there mm. or another black person get in there? It's just where the heart of the nation is. Mm. So now what we see in the office today is the result of mm-hmm. a nation whose heart is bad. Now watch this. I'm not even mad with Trump. Mm. Trump is who he is. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about Trump, now, Bishop, what the please don't tell me you love something about him. Here's what I love about him. This is edgy, mm-hmm. Nars. Mm-hmm. I can see him. Mm. Mm. Do you know where the image coming from? I know where he's I know when he's lying. <laughs> it's the ones that can't see. Yep. It's the it's the hidden racism yep. in our political landscape. It's those things that's happened, those laws that still exist that are against me that I may not know about. Mm. Those things that are still undermining our school districts, mm-hmm. how they are mm-hmm. how they are feeding all the 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 resources to uh, suburbia 
uh, and the white community and they give no resources within the black community as it relates to schooling and education. Mm-hmm. So you see. And even, even <laughs> as you're talking about it to make the conversation full circle, they don't, the police department here, they don't police 31st and Tasker the way they police 19th and Delancey Street. Not right? at all. Not even, not even, not even in a little bit. Right? They don't police, you know, Seventeenth uh, and Reed the way they police Thirty Fourth and Walnut. Right. Right. But but to your point, you would be hard pressed to find anyone within the police department that will admit that. Well, that's the saddest thing. Uh, and there, I have some some research. I have some evidence mm-hmm. of police officers that have stood up and have lost their jobs. Yeah. And are still fighting right now. Mm-hmm. That's a sad thing because they stood up and said, hey, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, you probably remember this last year, um, six narcotics officers stood with the Guardian Civic League to talk about the racism that was happening uh, in, in North Philly and the Northeast. And the mm-hmm. narcotics officers, right? Mm-hmm. They were saying, you know, when you get in your cars, just run over their toes. They're not real people. You know, I mean, this is the way that they were talking yes. about the black people. they just dehumanizing them. And I think that's why a, a white woman... Like the experience you had on January third, why she can just grab you and yell at you? Because one thing that you also, one of the things that was also really striking in the video, um, and maybe it wasn't even meant to be striking, but it struck me is you had to keep referring to yourself as a human being. Yes. You kept saying, "I'm a human being. You don't have to talk to me like that way." All I'm asking you for is basic human decency. That's it. And and unfortunately, I'm going. I'm going to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. We've and we've talked about change in the early part of this. But how much have we really changed? Mm. Did we did we just internalize some things and the heart is still the same? Because I'm going to ask you this question. Think about the history of the police departments around this nation. When they started out being racist mm. and beating on mm-hmm. people in the street, when did they stop being what they started being? It's, it's, it's really interesting you say that um, <laughs> because a lot of people don't know that, the, you know, what we know as police today started as a slave patrol, slave catchers, right? Thank you. And it morphed. And after that, it was, you know, they were officers of segregation and Jim Crow, mm-hmm. right? And, and then it morphed into, you know, the, the, the what was that? Uh, the, uh, the war on drugs. The war on drugs. And the, 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 the crime fake, bill. The fake, the war, fake on war on drugs. drugs. The 94 crime bill, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Stop and frisk, mm-hmm. right? And now we're in this Black Lives Matter movement where we're looking at all the use of force. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is really important because the word I use is corrective measures. When did we actually have a corrective measure that said, yeah, you know what? We started in a really evil space, in a really evil context, and we acknowledged that and we instituted corrective measures. We've never done that. We've never. See, this is my problem with the country. I was asked to do a speech concerning the crisis of black education. Mm. In America, I was asked by the uh, University of Pennsylvania's medical department, I believe, to do this for Black History Month a couple of years ago. I said to them in the speech, I cannot talk about the crisis. I know I was asked, Mm -hmm. but I cannot talk about the crisis of black education in America before I can talk about the crisis of miseducation in America. Mm. And I went all the way back to George Washington. Mm. And I talked clearly about what he did, the slaves mm-hmm, he owned. Mm-hmm. I dealt with our third president. Mm-hmm. I dealt with our 16th president. Mm-hmm. I talked, dealt with Thomas Jefferson concerning uh, 
his hatred towards black people and the fact that not only did he dislike, he said they smelled bad, <laughs> they were inhuman, they, they, they're really not. And then he ended up siring children mm. with black women. Mm -hmm. but, but what are we told? What are my children told about these people? Couldn't tell a lie. These people were, were my children are told that these were great Americans. Mm -hmm. My black children. Mm -hmm. These are great Americans when these presidents mm -hmm. back then. And, mm -hmm. and oh, of course, the, the Lincolnian Emancipation mm -hmm. of Proclamation. He wrote that based on what? Mm -hmm. And then what, did he, what was his, in his speech? There's literally a speech of his that was written that black people should not ever hold public office. Mm -hmm. They're not fit for it. Mm -hmm. And so we don't hear about these things. Mm -hmm. This is historical information that's just true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're mad at Trump for being racist with Mexicans, but we hold up Washington and mm -hmm. Jefferson mm -hmm. and Abe Lincoln mm -hmm. as we got a problem, man. We got a problem. It's also, it's also, <laughs> you know, when I think about the police department today, right? Uh, Whether it's Philly or anywhere else, they were all started on a particular foundation. And so when you say the police department or a police department is an instrument of white supremacy or that there's a white supremacist culture within the police department, I don't know how you deny it when it's actually a historical fact. It's not even a matter of opinion. Well, you're divisive now. Mm. And, and, and the truth is divisive. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and why would you just trying to separate people? See, when people won't embrace the reality of what is true, mm. And unfortunately, we have a we have a very bad history mm -hmm. that we don't ever want to embrace. You know, our good brother Spike Lee said mm -hmm. that the country was built on genocide. They weren't crucified. Well, <laughs> what was it built on? You mm -hmm. came, you killed the Indians, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you built the, the country on the backs of black people mm -hmm. that you still haven't acknowledged the, the atrocities mm -hmm. that you've caused them to suffer. Mm -hmm. You have to stop it, mm -hmm. see. Uh, and un until... We all have a, a earnest conversation about how you treat in this racially biased policing that we had. Mm -hmm. When Mayor Kenny was a, a, a councilman, I worked with him diligently to decriminalize uh, weed mm -hmm. just because it was killing the, 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 the records of the black youth mm -hmm. and doing nothing to the other youth. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I told you the other day when we first met Mm. That I had a conversation with Richard Ross, June 19th, 2017, in his office, a mm -hmm. uh, few members of power and some members of Black Lives Matter. And we talked about the marijuana piece. And it was in, his response was indicative of, of his leadership, right? I said, you know, Commissioner, how do you explain the marijuana discrepancies, right? I mean, you have black and white smoking weed at the exact same rate in the city, buying weed at the exact same rate, consuming weed, uh, consuming weed at the exact same rate. But yet blacks are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana. In the most recent, uh, the most recent analysis, which came out two months ago, 80% of all the marijuana arrests in the city are black. 80%. I mean, that's just... And that's that's effort. You have to put effort in to be that that have, that that much of a, a disparate imbalance. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, well, and you know what his response was? Well, well please don't tell me. I thought the black people sell weed differently <laughs> than white people. Well, he wouldn't even acknowledge that there's a white supremacist tinge to that. Well, maybe he's just slightly misinformed. I mm -hmm. don't want to beat up on him too mm -hmm. bad, mm -hmm. but we got to inform our leaders. Mm -hmm. We have to. We have to. Sometimes our leaders have to be taught, mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate as a leader. 
Um, I like to be educated. I, I, mm. I travel around the world. I have churches in South Africa. So mm. last year I visited South Africa four times okay. because I have uh, churches there. I work with some of the political figures there. Um, the former president, Jacob Zuma, who's mm-hmm. in trouble, um, is a friend of mine who I, I've, I've talked to and been a consultant to. Mm-hmm. And so what I discovered, one of my preachers over there became very uh, upset. He said, I'm... He said, you're from America, man. I'm mad with America. I said, why are you mad with America? You know, you, I look to the black people over in America to do X, Y, Z. Mm. And I said to him, I said, now, you, you do understand how much of America black people make up. Mm-hmm. I said, we're probably about 14%, mm-hmm. 13%. 13%. Mm-hmm. I said, could I say something to you, my dear brother? And I love him to death. Pastor Enzo is his name. Good brother. Has a mecca church, by the way. I said to him, I said, now, my problem is, how could you be mad with us? Mm. I said, we only make up 13, 14% of the population. And then out of that 13, 14% of the population in America, do you know how many of our men have been arrested? Mm. Mm -hmm. I said, so now Mm -hmm. you have a disproportionate, we make up 40% of the prison population. Mm -hmm. I said, that's horrific Mm -hmm. in certain realms. I said, you all make up. 85%. Mm. I said it's only 9% whites Mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. And they run the entire country. Mm. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. I did not. Is that crazy? So what was his response? He shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because I I, I did my research because it's cultural. Mm -hmm. Their apartheid is still Mm -hmm. systematic there. Just like we have here. I'm in restaurants and I see white People sitting. I, I go to Mandela Square in in Johannesburg. We call it Joburg, and I see the white folks sitting there, and I see waiters and waitresses going over to them, and the way they talk to the waiters and the waitresses. Mm. I said to my friend who was with me, and I said it loud enough for the for the table that was being served here. I said, they don't say thank you. Mm. They don't even look up and acknowledge the fact that they just were very nice mm-hmm. and handed you something. I said, so, wow. I said, I said, there's some work that needs to be done over here. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. said, and they only make up 9%. <laughs> so they start looking at my table. And of course, they notice my accent. But I was very disturbed by seeing this kind of phenomenon yeah. in a mostly... Uh, African mm-hmm. black country. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy to me. So, so speaking of black leaders, do you feel any more comfort when you see blacks in leadership? Particularly, let's, let's look at it in the context of Richard Ross, police commissioner. Do you feel, I mean, taking January 3rd out of the, of the question, do you feel better having a black man in charge of the police department? Or does that not matter to you when it's more about the foundation, the culture? I like your question. I think your question is is very valid. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at it. Mm-hmm. How did I feel when um, Mr. Williams, Seth Williams mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. our di- district attorney when he deliberately went after black leaders? Mm. Um, I'm not saying that this is true of uh, Mr. Ross. Mm-hmm. I think that he has his hands full. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, again, that even with this um, brotherly love project that I'm bringing to the table, uh, I'm going to seek to communicate with him. Okay. Uh, I haven't, well, I've actually, I have sought to meet with him. Okay. 
uh, uh, up until this point, maybe he's been, you mm -hmm. know, really busy. Uh, but um, I'm going to still seek, and mm -hmm. hopefully he's a part of the um, press conference on the 28th of March. Mm -hmm. Hopefully he oh, is So you're breaking a little bit of news here. So the March 28th, what's happening? Well, March 28th, right here at the Yesha, uh, a Grand Ballroom, we're doing a press conference in which we're going to roll out our Brotherly Love project. And we're going to really highlight some very significant um, issues, but we're also going to be very informative. We're going to help the community uh, by giving them information concerning the various things that are happening in our community, but show them how they need to react and how they need... We're going to have a really intelligent conversation. Mm -hmm. how, how would you explain Brotherly Love to the average person walking down the street? Well, with the elevator pitch, I guess. Oh, I love that. The elevator pitch is the nation or the city. Mm -hmm. uh, the name phileo, phileo is brotherly love. Mm -hmm. It's a Greek word and actually we're named after a church that was uh, one of the seven churches of Asia in uh, Asia Minor um, in the book of Revelations, which mm. means brotherly love. And if we want to really mirror our name mm -hmm. and really the meaning of our name, we've got to begin to look at some of these issues that really becomes the antithesis mm -hmm. of what we're supposed to really be. Okay. Brother Love, I got to look out for my brother and my sister. Mm -hmm. And this is what I was trying to say to the officer, regardless of even the color. Mm. You know, I, I want to, I want to move beyond, beyond color, but I can't until we make color and cause people to understand that I can't move beyond truth. Mm. If you're treating someone bad because of their color, let's get, we got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then no one should be treated bad, whether they're black, white. Um, Do you feel like you were treated bad on January 3rd because you were a black man? Or was it just that that officer likely would have treated anyone bad? I mean, your gut. Well, was your my, gut gut tell you? is, my gut is, unfortunately, I'm black. Mm-hmm. And I had a hoodie on. Mm -hmm. And you're a man. And I'm a man. And I was I was disrespected on all counts. Mm. I, I was disrespected as a human, as mm -hmm. I stated. I was then disrespected as a black person. Mm -hmm. Then I was disrespected as a clergy. Mm -hmm. Then I was disrespected as a just a male person having my person mm -hmm. aggressed upon. Mm -hmm. Uh, with with no um, reservation, with no, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this to you because you you you've made me angry because I just don't like what you did and and I was leaving the scene. Mm -hmm. So and, and from what I could see, you were almost surrounded. Eight or nine cops showed up. Well, for what appeared to be like just a minor. Well, it's in the report mm -hmm. that. Seven cars, mm. and then an additional six bike cops. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, 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 I begin to realize that there's so many implications here. So number one, if this is the kind of thing you do surrounding me, mm -hmm. no wonder you can't really get to some of the real crimes mm -hmm. that are happening. Mm -hmm. What kind of resources mm -hmm. went into you mm -hmm. coming at a person? That's a helper in the community. Mm -hmm. As I expressed to them, I have police officers that belong to my church, mm. that belong to my organization. Mm -hmm. So I'm a bishop. I, I'm not. It's not just my church. Right. I deal with churches all around the city. Right. 
around the country and ultimately around the world. Mm -hmm. So I have churches in Africa, in India, Mm. some of the islands of the sea. So when you approach me Mm -hmm. and you treat me other than what you should treat me. Now, just because I do all these things, I'm not asking for special treatment. Okay. I'm just asking, <laughs> just treat me. You know, my, my mother used to say, a dog is due respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that we got a lot of work to do. I think that it's systemic in our culture. I think that she feels as though she was fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Based on her actions, she just wanted, oh, and they gave me a citation. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Well, uh, what I was more curious is, I know that you got the citation. When you presented the footage and the citation to, to District Attorney Larry Krasner and those in his office, what did they say? Well, they, here's the funny thing. Before I even presented the footage and when I presented the citation, nobody could even say what it was. <laughs> they said, this is not legal. This is not... There's nothing that can back this citation up. Mm. It's, it, it, they... This citation shouldn't have been written because it, they can't arrest, they can't give you a traffic citation and you weren't the driver. Mm. It, it, none of it matches. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was the district attorney's office. This is district attorney's office. But they said the same thing at the internal affairs. Mm. They said, what is this? Mm-hmm. They had to go back get several people. It's not even in the books. Mm. What what was what was written on the citation? What did they say you did? On a traffic citation, I interfered with a stop or something, uh, investigation. She, no one understood how mm-hmm. this police officers I showed it to that belong to my ministry was like, what is this? Mm. So now, how many of these mm-hmm. have been written mm-hmm. to youth? Because since then, it's got gone through the system. This bogus. Okay. I had to call in because they want to suspend my license. Mm. So I got it. And I called the DA's office. They said, unfortunately, it's in the system. We're going to shoot it down. But you still have to handle. We we go, we know it's bogus. But because it's written. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Mm, mm, mm. So, so even more resources wasted, right? More resources. So what happens to our youth? Mm-hmm. Who don't know any better? Who who don't know this is bogus? Who's gonna either pay it mm-hmm. or not pay it? Ignore it. There's a bench warrant that says if I don't respond, they will in- issue a bench warrant for my arrest. Mm. How many young people mm. have had bench warrants issued for their arrest and their records totally messed up because of bogus activities like this? Mm. So it almost just feel like this needed to happen to you. Oh, I was happy that it happened. Yeah. That sounds funny. Mm-hmm. I was happy because I'm saying I have to do something now. Yeah. If I was oblivious before, which mm-hmm. I was not, mm-hmm. I'm certainly cognizant now. And I think under the aegis of the faith community mm-hmm. and those that the those that are doing work like you, mm-hmm. we have to really begin to have the conversation and put the light the spotlight on it because mm. that's the only way it will mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Could you believe that when Dr. King was here, that human beings with sick dogs, mm-hmm. children and women, mm-hmm. it wasn't until it happened 
Alabama. On that bloody Sunday. On that bloody all those Sunday. all those cameras and people was like, This is really happening. This is really happening. Black people so aren't black, making this up. Black and white. They, they, because they don't when you reach that point of um, racism and prejudice, mm-hmm. it becomes extremely ugly. Mm-hmm. I would I wouldn't do that to anyone. Not mm-hmm. a black person, not a white person, not see, I'm not a you know, there are some that are black nationalists or black, you know, uh, pan-African mm-hmm. type of mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a global uh, person that believes in the rights of all mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be honest about what, what things are happening in every community. Mm-hmm. So if I'm accused of being racist because or pulling the race card because I identify the truths Mm -hmm. behind what's really going on then so be it Mm -hmm. but we have to deal with this and and and, you know with our good brother Ross Mm -hmm. um uh um, commissioner Ross Mm -hmm. I want to uh prayerfully help him to to deal with something that he really did inherit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not something that was started when he got it's been going on long before he got in mm-hmm. and, and honestly my sources tell me from within the department that is he's frustrated that he wasn't able to make as much change as he thought he could i think he came in very optimistic yeah and he's being somewhat crushed daily by the by the realities that this is a bigger structure than than only him you know can can compete with yeah and and and, and it's rough and especially and that's why I, I, I'm not coming to the table adversarial mm. because I know what he deals with. Okay. As much as I don't uh, come to the table against any leader that way, mm-hmm. um, I want to demonstrate a support, mm-hmm. and I want to demonstrate that we can make a change. And the faith community is roused up now because mm. I've talked to a number wow. of my friends. Been around in this city a, a, a good little while, mm-hmm. but again, they understand what my posture is. My posture is to help. Yeah, was the Brotherly Love Project spurred out of the January third event? Yes. Was that the catalyst? Yes. Oh, interesting. Wow. So, January third happens. How many days after did you realize? Okay, I need to create something. I sat at the table with um, D.A. Kras, and across from the table, he sat across from me, and I said to him, "We have to do something." He said, "Well, Bishop, y'all have to do something." Mm. He said, "I can't run it, mm. but I can back it." Mm. So at that at that first meeting, you didn't have the name. Nope. Yeah. Do you remember the date of that first meeting? Was it a week or two after? Yeah, a week or two after that. Okay. So um, mid January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second meeting, I had the name. Wow. Who'd and you consult with? Well, you know, I have um, I have a good brother that's Pastor Jawan mm-hmm. Bennett. He's a criminal justice mm-hmm. uh, a professor at the Temple. Uh, his brother's a, a pastor as well. Um, Antonio Bennett. And a police officer. And a police officer. Good brothers. I love them. The whole family's brilliant. Um, my good friend, uh, Bishop Ernest McNear. Okay. Um, Bishop uh, Ethan Thornton, who um, works with the Interdenominational Citywide Crusade for Peace. Mm-hmm. He is actually the one who orchestrated the meeting with me and um, uh, the DA. Um, and... And just, you know, I have a plethora of resources. And then, of course, I also um, talk with my 
um, political people because I want them to know what I'm always want them to know what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. the Jordan Harris okay. and the, um, uh, Kenyatta Johnsons and those that, uh, you know, again, that um, I've been uh, working with for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So The project, is it going to be more storytelling? Is it going to be more program pro- programmatic? Like, how do you see this All materializing? So okay. here's what I see coming out of it. And this is where, uh, since you talk about it, I see you being an integral part. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a weekly message. Mm-hmm. So the Bro- Brotherly Love Project needs to have a show. Okay. I have the capacity because I have a studio. Mm-hmm. The Brotherly Love Project needs to have a a monthly conversation. We call it community conversations, and I don't have my plan in front mm-hmm. of me. In, in these various communities, about 21, 22 police districts mm-hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. There's about 10 councilmatic districts. What I want to do is create a conversation across the city where we are where we're locking in to these various districts mm-hmm. and educating the community about the police department, having the captains, everyone to come out mm-hmm. so that there's now, and we'll use, again, the faith-based mm-hmm. community, uh, both Islamic and um, Christian and whatever other faiths want to participate mm-hmm. to have these meetings so that the captains and the police that police our communities are familiar with who we are mm, mm-hmm. and setting up a an order of um accountability mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see we we need we need accountability mm-hmm. if you stop my child i need you to know you're going to be accountable <laughs> mm-hmm. for treating them well mm-hmm. god will bless you but for treating them ill and for treating them worse mm-hmm than what they should be treated, mm-hmm. then you're going to be, you're going to have to deal with that mm-hmm. with us. When you say weekly message, is it a weekly message to the police or is it a weekly message to the, to the public, to, to the members of the community? Everybody. Okay. I want to be, I, I like, I like covering all bases. Mm. Our community needs education as well. Mm-hmm. Our children need to be educated as well because some of them have no respect at all mm-hmm. for even their own people or their own community. So we need to speak to them concerning even how they deface our community with the graffiti. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, how they, uh, sometimes a police officer comes in a respectable way, but you still curse at him mm-hmm. or her. Mm-hmm. So it's got to work both ways. Because mm-hmm. I, I, that's an interesting point. I have seen it. Yeah. Where officers come and they're trying to de-escalate and you're like, get away from me, pig, you mother yeah. effort. Yeah, I don't yeah, got to yeah, show yeah, you yeah, nothing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I don't like that either. So... So for me, it's about balance, mm-hmm. um, and that balance has to be uh, portrayed. It has to be, and and in 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 context. And one of the the tragedies is like even this, mm-hmm. what we have. Mm-hmm. If certain people listen to this broadcast, mm-hmm. they will cut it off before they get to mm-hmm. the full understanding of mm-hmm. what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And they will highlight things. Mm-hmm. The most inflammatory or what they perceive to be inflammatory things. Yeah, and that's unfortunate as well because I like balance. And I think that we can do that if we can constantly have a voice mm. in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think um, based on the, the great uh, job that you're doing here, mm-hmm. we need to create a different kind of platform now that's going to be heard mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. We got the Internet is accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have all the technology we need now. Mm-hmm. 
So let's do something. Absolutely. Chris. Yes. Just to wrap up, Bishop, how will you know that this Brotherly Love Project is successful? What would be some of the measurements that you would identify that you would say, yeah, we're on the right path? Well, as we begin to um, have these conversations and really address the needs of people, once we start giving them information Mm -hmm. and they start responding back, you know, we did something a couple of years ago with um, the councilman, Kenyatta Johnson. We, he had something called Peace Not Guns. Mm-hmm. We had a huge meeting. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting in around and some preachers were there and the, the city council were there. And we were talking about what we need to go in and do, do, do. And I, I sat at the table and I enjoyed the meeting. Everybody made some tremendous contributions to the meeting. Um, the one question I asked was this where are I looked around at the table I said where are the youth Mm. that we're talking about Mm. helping I don't see any representation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they said they 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 said that is true I said to them at that point I said we need to have another meeting Mm -hmm. someone asked well who's going to get them here I said I will Mm. we had another meeting we brought two van loads Mm of youth from the hood. Mm-hmm. Some of them had on their sleeveless T-shirts and I walked them through City Hall. We we went up to the council chamber. We set them around the council mm-hmm. chamber desk mm-hmm. and we let them talk. Mm. Came What came out of that meeting, some of the youth was able, some of the council people that were there and the people that were around were able to help some of the youth in certain areas. Mm-hmm. They were able now to hear what the real issues were mm-hmm. and to really orchestrate a plan to help those youth. Mm. And so measuring any um, meeting or any uh, program as a success is when it helps people. Yeah. And so I believe that our measurement has to be built on who we educate and who we help. Mm. Bishop, for people who are hearing this, they want to get in touch with you. If they want to be at the press conference, if they want to contribute to the project or or, or, or be a, um, a facilitator in, in some way of these conversations, how can they connect with you? Uh, what information do they need? Well, uh, we're at Yesha Ministries. Our ministry number is 215-271-4017. That's 215-271-4017. We're right at 23rd and Snyder. We're there every every day. Mm -hmm. But Monday nights, we have service. Wednesday night and Sunday, two services, 730 and 1130. And anytime you come, you can ask any of our members um, questions about it. Or you can just call in and, and we'll give you information about the Brotherly Love Project. Thank you so much, Bishop Robertson, for taking the time out to speak with me. And thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Flood the Drummer, and I'm drumming for justice.